And when you look at that, they are suggesting essentially that on his right-hand side, he hits a higher peak force than he does on his left-hand side. It's a faster ground contact time, a higher peak force, and is that a function of this lateral flexion? I would argue, yeah, 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 maybe. And so if that's the case, he's somewhat asymmetrical because he's got more, more um, skull to the right-hand side than he is to the left. So it begs the question, should we be training lateral flexion per se? Uh, and is range of motion a critical factor? And I'm sure we'll get on to some of the, the, the other stuff with Jerome Simeon in a minute, but if you look at Kevin Meyer, who's one of his, his he's a world record in the, in the decathlon, He's, he's another guy that has trained in, in some of the, the, the isometric stuff they do. He's trained a lot of lateral flexion. And in the time he's been with, with Jerome, he, he's progressed from about 11 flat, 11 1, 100 meter runner to a 10 50, 100 meter runner. That was Angus Ross, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle. And not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So I've been utilizing the airbands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling of training of while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Uh, SimplyFaster.com also has B Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro. And this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. In sports performance, uh, many people have heard the idea of the spinal engine. I certainly have, and I've been thinking a lot in the last year or two about the the role of the ribs and the spine and, and the upper body in general uh, in its ability to drive the lower body and coordinate with the lower body to achieve next-level performances. Another thing I've been thinking about a lot and really working with is the idea of isometrics and particularly long isometric holds. With these concepts, I recently reached out to previous guest Angus Ross. And I'm really glad I did. Angus uh, came to this show loaded with information. It blew my mind and it helped me connect a lot of dots. Uh, and you guys are really going to enjoy it. Quickly, before we uh, get to the, some of the topics, Angus Ross, uh, he's been a previous two-time guest on the show, appeared within the first 100 episodes of the podcast. He is a senior strength and conditioning specialist with High Performance Sport New Zealand. And Angus has a particular interest in track and field athletes, although he has worked with a number of sports at an elite level within the New Zealand system. Angus has a PhD in exercise physiology, and he also has skin in the game as a winter Olympian in his own right, having competed in the 1998 and 2002 Winter Games. On the show today, really, this was like this was like a kid on Christmas morning for me talking to Angus. He spoke on his take on spinal engine theory and some uh, correlations and specific case studies and observations in elite track and field athletes. 
He's also going to talk about rhythmic movement, ideas with the martial arts, and then he's going to share a little bit about some ideas that he's been thinking about since his uh, time that he spent learning from uh, Coach Jerome Simeon, who also was on this podcast. One of the ideas that particularly stood out to him and as well as I found fascinating was the idea of asymmetrical isometric holds or only doing an isometric on one side and then how Jerome has progressed uh, Jay Schrader's original uh, just 90 degree kind of straight or sagittal plane oriented holds and added lateral flexion to those and, and how that fits with the spinal engine element. Angus is also going to talk about short hold isometrics and then proprioception training. Uh, from front to back, this was a phenomenal chat. To me, this is an instant classic. I think that there's so many concepts here that it's like we have this edge of our knowledge in sports performance. And every time I talk to Angus, it's like that edge, that circle grows just a little bit more. It's like, oh, yeah, that could fit in too. And and just already in my own training, starting to play around with these things has been a lot of fun. The, the way I consider and observe human movement. Angus is such a wealth of information. He's such a curious mind. And then add the PhD to all that. You know you're going to get a great chat. So I'm excited to get you guys this show, episode 265 with Coach Angus Ross. Angus, it's great to have you back on the show. I've heard the term spinal engine a few times. And honestly, it's one of those things where I've kind of like, I've looked up a little bit of the definition, what it is. And it's something that I think intuitively I have some understanding and have been working with some ideas around it. But I definitely haven't taken a true deep dive. And so I'm really interested with what you're um, uh, doing or, or studying with the spinal engine theory and how you see it play out in uh, various sport activities. Yeah, cool. Um, so, so the spinal engine stuff, in my understanding of it at least, I guess it was popularized by Serge Grakovitsky back in the sort of 80s and 90s. And in sort of brief terms, it, it, the concept is that if you laterally flex a lordotic spine, it induces an axial torque and a, and a rotation of the pelvis. And, and, you know, if, if you read into that data, there's, and we, we, we rotate the, the trunk with our, with our lat and glute and those sort of those slings we have. And, you know, the idea is that if, you're, if, if, you, if your spine is laterally flexing from side to side, you get this, um, the lordosis causes this axial rotation of the pelvis, and that's what drives gait. And it's kind of like, if according to, to, to the spinal engine theory, the legs are really just there as, as amplifiers of the spinal engine. And if you, if you, you know, if you've seen, you know, people with no legs can walk on the ischial tuberosities and it looks very like walking. And if you, if you consider that the legs are then, then just amplifiers of that, that movement of, of the lateral flexion and that we, we see in gait, then that's a really interesting concept. And so, so the whole thing with it to my mind, and I started going down this rabbit hole a little bit during, during, and we had a, you know, a lockdown for a period of last year and I was kind of a bit bored and started reading some stuff and, when you look at things through the spinal engine lens, it, it's really very different to you know, sort of the mass spring model, which the mass spring model basically characterizes the trunk as a lump of weight, a lump of weight that sits on, the, on these, you know, these springs of, of legs. And that's you know, been the probably, you know, and, and sort of you know, a lot of biomechanical stuff, it's been, it's been the model that we've used. And the, and the mass spring model kind of turns that on its head a little bit and says, hey, well, the trunk is actually what's driving the, right, driving the gate rather than the legs just carrying around this inert lump of meat on top of it. <laughs> and so, you know, I've, I've sort of gone down that rabbit hole and that's, you know, there's certainly a level of validity to it. And I think, you know, both powerful legs and a powerful trunk are, are both key factors. You don't want one or the other. And I don't think you need to be, you know, polarized into one camp necessarily or the other, but there's, you need to train the whole, the whole system. And, you know, like I say, if you accept that the, the possibility that the trunk may contribute significantly to gait, then obviously there are implications for how you train and, I've got, I've sort of, if you look at some of our elite runners, uh, elite athletes, 
uh, you know, it's looked at some footage of, of Wade Van Niekerk and, and Usain Bolt, who obviously, you know, still the world records in the 100, 200, and 400. And they both, you know, have significant lateral flexion. And, you know, Usain Bolt in particular has a, has a scoliosis to the, to the right-hand side. And when you watch him run, he laterally flexes more to one side than the other. So, so to the right-hand side, he laterally flexes as a function of his, of his scoliosis. And, you know, Ken Clark and Peter Wayand and, and those guys in, in their, the SMU lab have mapped some of you know, his predicted force data as a result of it, you know, the ground force, sorry, his limb lengths and his speeds and his ground contacts and flight times, et cetera. And when you look at that, they are suggesting essentially that on his right-hand side, he hits a higher peak force than he does on his left-hand side. It's a faster ground contact time, a higher peak force, and is that a function of this lateral flexion? I would argue, yeah, 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 maybe. And so um, if that's the case, he's, slum- he's somewhat asymmetrical because he's got more, more um, scoliosis to the right-hand side than he is to the left. So it begs the question, should we be training lateral flexion per se? And is range of motion a critical factor? And um, I'm sure we'll get on to some of the, the, the other stuff with Jerome Simeon in a minute. But if you look at Kevin Meyer, who's one of his, has, he's a world record in the, in the decathlon. He's a guy that has trained in, in some of the, the isometric stuff they do. He's trained a lot of lateral flexion. And in the time he's been with, with Jerome, he, he's progressed from about 11 flat, 11 100 meter runner to a 10, 50, 100 meter runner. Yeah, and his stride length <clears> is, is huge too. Yeah, stride length is huge. And so, so he's done it 100% by stride length. He, he's, he, was, he was taking about just under 45 steps when he was 23, 22, 23 to run 100. And now he takes 42 steps at six foot one. So he's got this monster stride length. In the Ralph, Ralph Mann terms, he probably is excessively rear side dominant. He pushes too long, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, what it has afforded him is this massive stride length. And his stride rate hasn't changed. Probably gets more time on the ground, more time to apply force, more time to produce impulse. But he also bounces down both sides, and he's got this quite bup, 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 dramatic sort of running style in that space. And, and, and if you look at a lot of these, Shikari Richardson does the same thing. She's a real um, lateral flexor, and you know, we all know how well she's been running. So yeah. you know, is, is it cause and effect? I'm not sure. I like to think so, but certainly there's more research needs to be done in that space. And I'm trying to chase up a couple of PhD students currently to look at it both biomechanically as well as training. You know, can we train these things? Mm-hmm. You know, if you and I don't do it naturally, should we be training ourselves to do it? Or, or you know, there's a whole lot of unanswered questions there too that if you, have a, if you don't have a particularly lordotic spine, is there any point in doing it? Don't know. Is there any ground per, per se of just doing that? Bang, 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 bang to each side. Is there any ground force as we laterally flex? Possibly. And I guess my other question became out of it is, you know, we typically characterize a long trunk as being a negative in running, but perhaps that's a bigger hammer. You know, if you've got a long trunk and you're using the spinal engine, mm. you know, so most, most of our elite runners are short trunk, long legs, and that's, and that's what, what we say is, is, is the normal. But if you don't have that, can you compensate by becoming a, a different style of runner and using what you do have to, to, to sort of facilitate your ability to become elite? I don't know. I'm just, I've got a whole lot of questions that I, that I would mm-hmm. like to pursue, I suppose, in the next little while. So um, yeah, it's a fascinating space. Yeah, that's what you just said there at the end is fascinating too. I, I take that one extra close to my heart because I am long torso, short-legged individual who <laughs> really likes sprinting yeah. and jumping. And so, and I, I think about <laughs> it like how maybe it's less of a, a negative if you do have more of a mobile spine and ribs that can actually move and articulate and maybe try to give you a little bit extra where your legs, you just don't have leg length. Well, it's just, it's just an interesting question. And then it begs the question, how do you train it? And 
you know, is it via a therapist? Is it via some mobility work that you can do yourself? And, and then should you, once you've got that mobility piece, I guess, training strength and actively training lateral flexion and or rotation, how important are they? What are the best modes of doing it? I've been diving into this pretty deeply and I've got a couple of mm. random bits and pieces. I think we could divide up the 100 metres in terms of the start, acceleration and max velocities slash speed maintenance space. And there are probably different modes of training that the spinal engine stuff for each of those facets. And so, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I agree. I think even in acceleration, you see runners who can just use, honestly, <clears throat> it might almost shine there just as well as anything because you see runners who can really use the lateral space when they're accelerating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you have to have that ability to bend, just to laterally bend and yeah. rotate to do that. If you don't have that, if you put someone, um, when I was working with swimmers, an exercise we would do a lot was called the Saxon bend, which was okay. an exercise named after, um, I think it was Arthur Saxon or some famous strongman. And it was basically just holding two dumbbells directly straight over your head and just doing lateral side bending. And I would always tell cool. people, it's like the tree pose in yoga, basically. You kind of, it's as yeah. if your back is on a wall. You don't want to cheat it because you can't, people yeah. would, would go forward to cheat it. And I always yeah. found that the swimmers who generally, I, I the, the majority of swimmers who are very good, and we had a lot of really good swimmers in the group, a lot of people uh, at world championships and Olympics, the better ones seem to really own that spine, spine bending, like just could make a really yeah, right. beautiful arc. And the ones who yeah. struggled a little more, just they had to like, you know, go into more shoulder flexion. <laughs> Sometimes I mess up te the technical term for shoulder flexion extension, but they had to bring the, the arms down a little bit to actually pull it off. Yeah. And so it was interesting yeah, right. to see true, yeah, true um, spinal ability versus kind of people who had to manufacture. They just didn't have the natural motion to do some things. And I think a lot yeah. of it, there, there's almost like this hardware. I mean, it's not, it is software. There's breathing and the way the ribs move. <laughs> so, but, yeah. but these very core abilities, I feel like you need to be able to pull it off. Like you couldn't take someone whose ribs were glued stuck <laughs> and didn't rotate oh. much and couldn't side bend. I, they can't, they can't yeah. do that. There has to be some things you start with that from a deeper level where you can open that up yeah 100 percent agree and and like you know i haven't i've started to play with it a little bit here in different athletes and i've had i've unfortunately had back surgery um a few years ago and trying to demonstrate it myself i realized how bad i was you know i, I was sort of stealing a couple of those exercises from the ben patrick the knees over toes guy whatever mm -hmm. his, his name is he's got a on the 45 degree back extension side bends on that and uh oh yeah the ql I tried doing it. yeah yeah ql stuff and i was absolutely pitiful but it's been interesting. I've been doing it on an almost daily basis and it's, and it's improved dramatically over the course of a month, say. And so I think, you know, these things are modifiable and then being able to move, as you say, with that sort of elegant rhythm and to bounce in and out of some of these positions. So, so you, you don't want to become sort of ultra mobile and kind of flaccid in those positions. You want to be able to bounce and uh, store that elastic energy. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of IP in it that needs to be developed that, to, to enhance it, I reckon. But and we sort of certainly have some of these motor geniuses that they just do it naturally and yeah. have the range and they, and they just, they feel it. And my, my questions are, you know, can, can we train, you know, a more, you know, stock standard straight up and down linear runner into that space and then get a performance enhancement. And as you've rightly alluded to, you need the hardware to be able to run that software. And if you can't get in those positions where well, you can't get in those positions, you and I can give them coaching cues all day long and it won't do any bloody good because they can't, they can't get in those positions anyway. So you need both. Yeah. 
there's a few thoughts I have that I guess almost the more the most core <laughs> thought that I have with it is um, <laughs> Helen Hall, who was on the show a little over a year ago. She would have made almost yeah. in tears at this point. I think <laughs> she was episode 180. Yeah. And her book, even with your shoes on, is it's amazing. It's like it's on the Kindle. It's 500 pages. And I read it in like two weeks. I was so I was just like totally absorbed. And her model, uh, she basically mixes like Gary Ward's cogs which are basically 3D, taking a joint to its full 3D range. So imagine, yeah. like like you said, Jerome Simeon and, and the, the lunge, like the extreme ISO lunge, but then throw lateral flexion on top of that. And I think I saw Dan Fichter yeah. doing that too. And that actually, I, <laughs> I got to make a note for that one because I got to, and, and we'll talk about the ISOs here in a bit, but like my ooh, muse ooh. the last year, year and a half really, especially since I read Helen's book and then I learned, um, I've been le- learning some amazing things from some swim coaches over time too that are related kind of related but the idea of uh, or how helen would do it is really like okay you're gonna start let's say just running you're gonna start by putting your back on the wall and just taking your spine through kind of like a cat cow although the cog is different with what the head does but but you're experiencing spinal motion in the front to back plane in the sagittal plane and you're noticing your range essentially and then you go run and so you're kind of like it's a feel-based thing you're you're feeling it and you're taking it with you and then so you got to dial in the sagittal plane first. And that's a big thing with just strength and conditioning um, that has to really come in. And I know a Pat Davidson has talked about that, Mike Robertson and, and some others. And so she'll so start there, but then it goes frontal plane. Like now it's, there's like these lateral drills that to get lateral feeling and lateral motion. And I found the lateral drills actually to be fantastic with helping people eliminate crossover running, like people who shouldn't be crossover running. I think there's some bow-legged people yeah. like Allison <laughs> Felix who, who can, and it's fine, but, So like using that and then she brings in rotation and running it. And so I've been experimenting all over the place with that kind of thing with like just different, yeah, just different lunges, lunges with twists, different types of crawls. And it's, I've, um, I'm actually, it's a huge portion of the, an online course that I'm coming out with soon and, and how I've kind of view gate and I found it to work really well. But the, the thing that where people will struggle is if they miss that core, they don't have that core ability, that just core rib mechanics and rib motion. And again, the, the movements set definitely help, but people who are really stuck, like really, really stuck, that's where I think like David Gray has his core basics and a lot of the stuff that goes into the finer points of the breathing and the spine. It, it's just, I think different people need a different level <laughs> of, uh, of, yeah, of help totally. there. And some people I think are almost too far gone. Yeah. I, I never like to say that, <laughs> but you know. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Being one of the, being a very, um, you know, bound up sort of person myself, I, I've, I've struggled, struggled with that and, but, Doing those um, the loaded stretches, you know, doing those, the side bends with, you know, you know, a, a heavy kettlebell and whatever. And I'm I'm developing range and developing that range with with load, which I think is, is beneficial. And uh, yeah, I certainly it's a fun little um, project to, to experiment with. And um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You, you do need you do need those capabilities, or or it's it's you know relatively worthless. Yeah, if you're um, if you're you just a you brick, can't, you can't run it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so and then and trying to force the brick to run in that in that fashion will be end in tears yeah 100 yeah it's interesting with the asymmetry too because i i've been really into the idea of asymmetry for a few years now i did a podcast with the darian bar on it maybe two or three maybe three years ago some of these i just forget yeah. i'm like it was a long time ago and I, you know it's but it's always yeah. been something i've been interested in and one of the think, big things yeah. he was talking about was <laughs> like juan magoy cavaria his like super long last step and how his <laughs> run-up was so asymmetrical and kind of mirrored that but then even with all these sprinters like Bolt, but also there was um there's been a few other sprinters I've been watching recently who have that asymmetry and 
there yeah. was a she broke the college record in the indoor 200 i think she did um from the university of kentucky here in the states abby steiner and she's hugely oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah massively asymmetrical it yeah. was a soccer player, so probably had like you know to play team sports, you have to have probably more mobility through the upper body. I, yeah, I would and, then, and then she got injured. Obviously, didn't run the open yeah. the outdoor season. I saw, um, so yeah, interesting. Yeah, but she looked like a real talent. But you're right, yeah, the asymmetrical gait is, and how much do you mess with that? Is, is another question, isn't it? Like, is it do how you, much you do you build it in? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think I think you can. I just think each person has their own, like like Kevin Mayer, right? He. It's almost like you have your own attributes that you're really good at, right? Maybe it's like just pure horsepower. Maybe it's elasticity or maybe you have like some mobility, like, right, like a long spine and some mobility in there and you can like really leverage that. I, I think I don't, I don't have a ton of horsepower relative to other athletes. So it's, I think that in looking at how I've solved movement problems, I can, I can see that. And the more I've learned about asymmetry too, is I think Angus Bradley said this on his social media, who was on this podcast not long ago, but it was something to the tune of like asymmetry creates momentum or something like that. And I can feel that I've, I've done different types of train, like one arm running. I, I, Darian had me bar, had me do a 300 one one arm once just for fun. And like just doing, just doing like a one arm run for a hundred meters and then bring the other arm in for the last 50. Like you feel this, and that's the thing where I feel like it, it, it. This is a harder concept for the industry, at least like a lot of the research and database, because it's not as easy as a, a force plate on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Not that that's easy. I mean, there's a lot of really intelligent work that goes into that. But now you have 3D motion up top. You have a lot of stuff that, and also the fact yeah. that to feel it, they can't just, you know, it's something you have to feel and process in your own body. You can't just do. It's not just hey, do this cue, <laughs> and not that that's yeah. a great idea. I think oftentimes anyway. So super yeah, yeah. interesting. No, definitely complicated. And, and uh, as you say, some of these things have to be felt. I've sort of been playing around with some martial arts stuff as well. And that's the same thing. There's concepts there that don't translate well into sort of a sort of Western way of thinking. And, and but you feel it, you think, oh, maybe there is something there. That, that's kind of, and it's, you know, for some of that science trained, it's kind of a little bit frustrating. You know, I, I find that I'm, I'm probably a slower on the uptake than some of the other people in the class as, a, as because I've got all this interference of, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound biomechanically sound or, or whatever it is. And, um, so yeah, it's interesting. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think like just like a lot of people who are just very intuitive coaches can benefit from seeing the data around what they're doing. I think a lot of people yep. who do a lot of data, like doing yeah, like the martial arts is so feel and intuitive based. I, I just had Sam Weist on, and he was talking about these posture drills that he does before his practice, and he's describing. It. I was like, I have no idea. I literally have no idea. Like I get it. I kind of get it. And he's he had a video that that he shared that was helpful. But it is one of those things that it's really just. It's like Tai Chi. How do I explain? I mean, I haven't even done Tai Chi, but just watching people do it, I don't think you could explain it very well just talking about it. It's something you have to no. actually yeah. embody and feel yourself. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So what what have you been doing in the martial arts with that? There's a guy, actually, a local guy here who's, um, it's not, it's, it's kind of an amalgamation of, he's he's done, he's got back belts and half a dozen different things and he's, you know, he's in his 60s and he's come up with a sort of amalgamation martial art, I guess. And I've just, yeah, I just sort of wanted to, as a sort of professional development and movement, I just started, I've started been doing that for the last couple of years. And, and uh, certainly, yeah, we have our disagreements on, on how things go or how, what the function of something is. But he's very much more eclectic than I would characterize myself in terms of how things work and, and you know, the sort of um, the spiritual side of things, which, you know, I probably struggle with a little bit and, and stuff like that. But just the movement has been interesting. He's very much into, um, you know, facial slings and, and bits yeah. and pieces. So 
look, it's been fun, and, and I'm, and I'm um, trying to keep an open mind and, and, and keep progressing in that. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be um, super duper at it, possibly, but um, I bring my own. It's, it's, it's not for that per se. It's really for my own learning. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I wanted to take a break from the show and briefly share with you the difference that performance herbalism can make for you. Several years ago, I had Logan Christopher, CEO of Lost Empire Herbs, on the show to talk about hypnosis and mental training for athletes. While talking to him, I realized he also had an herbalism company. So shortly thereafter, I used the Phoenix Formula, which was my first product I bought from them. I had great results with it, not only increasing my energy and decreasing my need for coffee and caffeine, but I also noticed that it was making an impact on my lifts and my weight room numbers. I was having a great training experience. Shortly thereafter, I also got into the shiliagit resin as well as other herbs. And I don't look at supplementation the same way. I'm a strong believer in what Logan and his company are doing in looking for a natural resource to boost human performance. If you want to check out the herbs that I use personally from Lost Empire Herbs, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. There you can get 15% off your order and they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Definitely check them out. Let's get on back to the show. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, the martial arts has been something I've really been looking forward to hopefully getting more into at some point. I think that is the more perspectives you can get, you know, the better. Even if you don't totally. take them all the way, it's like even just to be a generalist, right. just 20%. Just show me the top I mean, 20% you, of this. Yeah. You can innovate a bit more because you've got some ideas from that or just it triggers something. And, you know, the whole concept of things moving like a whip, you know, that's pretty critical in throwing. It's pretty critical in, in, in running and jumping and certainly in striking it is as well. So there's, there's some common elements there, which I've sort of huh, okay, that's kind of interesting. And you breathe like this. Oh, that's, that's different to what I would expect. And there's just little bits and pieces that have been, um, yeah, good learnings for me. And, and I'm certainly going to keep doing it for a bit just to um, see what I can glean out of it. And, you know, as you say, you develop, when you start to develop, and I think mastery is, is probably not the right term, certainly with the level I'm at, but some level of competence, you do learn things more deeply and then you can transfer it perhaps to another, another modality. So, yeah, look, it's, been, it's been interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool. I think um, with other modalities too, uh, Rafe Kelly, who is on recently, I'm like I'm just name dropping all these last guests. I, but they're just they, they, oh, they left a lot of impacts on how I think about things. But uh, yeah. he was talking about um, Israel Adesanya, who's a UFC fighter, who was a hip hop dancer until yeah. he was yeah 17, yeah. 18. It's just yeah. he's he's like got all the moves. And, he's, yeah, he's a good. Kiwi, so we all, he's famous over here, mate. He's uh yeah, that's awesome. He's a, He's a pretty special athlete, yeah. But I have this feeling like the people who really generate that asymmetry and really work the spinal yeah. engine, you can't help but think that they have an innate sense of rhythm. You know what I'm saying? They watch you yeah. saying bull yeah. run and watch his shoulders and there's just like this rhythm to it. There's, and then we talk totally. about that in track and I don't think you can generate that, that whip of momentum change and asymmetry without some rhythm, without some ability to sense yeah. your body and how that, because otherwise it's just... Oh wait, am I supposed to lift my knees? More? Wait, just, not that I would tell an athlete to do that. But, but, yeah, uh, yeah, no, yeah. totally. And and, that, and that's where the greatness comes, isn't it? Like there's some of these athletes that have this inherent rhythm or coordination or motor genius or whatever you want to call it. That, that they they use all these slings and they bounce and they and they and they yeah they're kind of funky the way they move and it's like yeah it's it's, it's spectacular to watch. And I went to a, to a boxing event recently and, and Israel Adesanya was there actually and he was he was in, I was in the um, the, the warm-up room and watching uh, these guys prepare and, and he was there and there's music on and he's just kind of bopping away in the corner there and you know he's just got he's got presence but he moves well you can just see it didn't matter what the song was it could be you know anything from you know something pretty hardcore to Adele singing or whatever it was and he and he just moves moves well you know he, there's something um there's a rhythm there that's you know whether it's inherent or whether it's he's done using hip-hop whatever it is, I'm not sure but it's, it's pretty cool like and, and I think that's 
part of his greatness is that is that movement skill. He he just you know he's he's six foot four with long levers and he, you know, he's hard to get at and all that other stuff. But he he's a great mover. So it's, yeah, impressive. Yeah, I'm starting to learn. The older I get and the more athletes I work with, the more I learn what it really means to be a good mover, you know, like and, and mm, rhythm mm, and actually mm. having rhythm, some level of rhythm present in the program. Like I had um, <laughs> the other day I was working with four distance runners and a lot of times I just warm them up with isometrics, which is awesome. And yeah. we hopefully we can, we'll talk about that here in the next uh, few minutes. But I, it was just one of those days and they, I think they I, I had just had a good wor- workout myself like this. So in my time with Paul Cater, who's been on the show, and he's out in Monterey he does warm-ups that are almost all to rhythm music with no lyrics and beat and we just did we did crawls to rhythm we did hops to rhythm we did lunges <laughs> to rhythm and and little jumps and all this stuff and yeah. i mean they they liked it that most of them liked it it was four and then one of them didn't really like it very much but um they had a great time and it was interesting because in watching actually you can see and we did actually did like a vertical jump in a single leg rsi where they hopped on and hopped up in the air and the one mm-hmm. athlete who didn't like the rhythm the who didn't raise her, she didn't raise her hand. I don't think she hated it, but she just struggled. And her single leg yep. RSI was the worst. And as I was zooming in on like the foot to kind of look at it, she was the one who'd had no like little heel twitches or taps, if that makes sense, even on the subtle level. Like, and again, it's yeah, a small yeah. sample size, but but it, yeah. even, it's it's still like I feel like even in like in hip hop dance and stuff, there's like these little twitches and these little ankle, you know, these little hits of muscle contraction around the ankle that do matter. It is yeah. a big deal. But but even um, watching, who's the um, the US discus? Is it Valerie Orman, the discus? Runner? Yeah, who's got the? I think she's got the national record. She, she's she's throwing real yeah. far. I know that seventy meter de- yeah. uh, discus thrower. Who's a, who's a former ballet dancer? And you watch her throw, and she looks like a ballet dancer. It's like it's, there's this rhythmic summation of you know, it's beautiful. And she's she's not a huge you know. I'm not sure what she weighs, but she doesn't look heavy. She's very you know, she's lean and muscular, but probably you know less than eighty kilos, I would say, and throwing seventy meters. And and you kind of think. Wow, that, that's and that's a rhythmic event too, you know. And, and you can see that rhythm and that summation and um, the way she whips it. Uh, it's, it's really cool. I mean, I think so. Yeah, probably, probably something shooting ahead a little bit here, but you know, training rhythm, dance—they're pretty good modalities for kids to be involved with, aren't they? Yes. That, that, um, yeah, play, even though just dancing around to the music at, at home, you know, that's all good stuff. I reckon that we, we probably don't do enough of in, in, in a lot of a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter is um, four. She'll be five here in a few days. But she, one of her favorite things to do, and she'll do it with the music on or off, but you can tell when the music's on, she catches the beat of it. Is she, my wife yeah. got this little exercise trampoline that's like, I don't know, two feet across, like one of those little ones. And my daughter will yeah. just jump on that thing over and over and over and over again. And you can just yeah. tell she's she's got this rhythm. And I'll, I'll say, like, I, who knows why it is or why. I mean, I try to not you know, be a coach at all. I just suggest, you know, hey, do you want to play the ball? Do you want to jump over the stick? Yep. You know, sometimes I try yep. to be as as not valid seeking <laughs> yeah. validation yeah. as possible. But what I've noticed over time, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that specifically, but she's uh, she re- relative to her peers at her age as she's grown older, like her cousins, has gotten a lot faster. Like her speed okay. has gotten way way better. And I mean, it could be a lot of things, but. That is something that she is always doing. And she catches rhythm. She's trying to do tricks in the air. I mean, she probably spends 20 minutes a day on that thing. And if music's on, she yeah, does it to the music. It's just interesting to watch. Yeah. And, and you wonder what that's doing. Well, uh, it's interesting, the, the trip. We're getting way sidetracked. But the, there was Asha Phillip, who was the UK, I think she was 100-meter champion back in the day, was also a world junior trampoline champion hmm. and had this background on that. And, and I'd, I'd, seen, I'd seen this data, seen this not data, but just that anecdote. And then... A year or so later, we had a had a girl won the New Zealand Junior Hundred Meter Championships. I was watching. I'm watching nationals, and I'm going, "Wow, that girl's got an amazing touch on the ground. She's 
you know, five foot tall, tiny little thing, but just bounced off the ground. And I, you know, didn't really think anything of it. And then I heard her coach speaking later on at a, at a conference. And it turns out she was the North Island champ- trampoline champion as well. So, <laughs> you know, like who knows whether it's rhythm, whether it's stretch shortening cycle, whether it's tendon stiffness, I don't know what it is, but there's something. The trampoline, I don't think is a bad thing to ha- have in the, in the system. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was funny because when my wife first brought that home, I was like, ah, I don't know about this thing. Like, you know, and then it's turned out to be the best like investment. I think that yeah, yeah. it only costs like, like yeah. 10 bucks or something. <laughs> it was like, yeah. it's yeah. been amazing. Perfect. I'm really glad we got that thing. All right. So the last thing I had with that was, I know I kind of shared my take with Helen Hall and my thoughts in terms of like integration, but what's your take on, you know, who can benefit from it? Who Spinal Engine, like who can train it? I I know you said you've been doing some of the uh, Ben Patrick, like the QL list, which I just, that just, that's a cool way to think about that too. I didn't really thought about that, but yeah, I I, I think everybody, well, can everybody benefit from, I'm not sure. like I said, I want to get a PhD student on it, and I've got a guy semi lined up, just trying to kind of get him some funding. But you know, if you if you don't have certain anthropometric traits, for example, if you don't have a lordotic spine, you've got a very flat back. Is it still beneficial? Well, I, I don't know. So, so look, there's, there's some unanswered questions. So, my 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 working model currently is probably everybody can benefit from it to some level. Some might find it more advantageous than others. Uh, if you do it, if you have that that natural rhythm anyway. Can we facilitate that? And, and then you look at uh, certainly Kevin Myers' progression over, over you know, a five-year period. He, he was improving every year in the 100 metres you know, from 23 to 28, which is quite unusual. You know, as, as you well know, you know, people get to about 23 and most of them barely improve. And, and yeah, yeah, he had room to improve at 11-1. He wasn't super fast, but improved you know, five or six tenths of a second in, in five years. That's incredible. I mean, I, I've, very, I've very rarely seen that. Yeah. Uh, particularly, you know, from a, a guy that was already well trained, he was already world junior champion in the decathlon, and I, I'd kind of I'd watched his, looked at his data, and, and seen he'd scored like eight four twenty two or something in the decathlon. I thought, oh, that's really good. And then I looked at his numbers, uh, and I wrote him off. I thought, oh, he's not fast enough. He's never going to get any better because he's not fast enough. Can't be the world record holder. And here, five years later, he's the world record holder. And hats off to those guys. That's amazing. Yeah. And he's fast. He's a ten fifty guy. Um, he's genuinely he's one of the top, you know, four or five guys in the decathlon in the hundred each time. Uh, he's getting good points there, and it's like, well, wow, that's that's pretty cool, and and that's a really a real feat of coaching and and uh, you know, and then the athletes training and stuff. I, I, I'm a big admirer of that work. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, I've been intrigued by it ever since you mentioned that that they were doing awesome yeah. stuff over there. And I think it was it was because yeah. of you that at least uh, one of the reasons that I ended up getting uh, Jerome on the show and learned a lot yeah. talking to him. And so I know you were able to spend <laughs> some time with him. I know one of his big things that I've worked on a lot is the long isometric holds, but what are some things that you observed in spending time with him that you've been mulling over yourself and how has that inspired your thought yeah, so, process? So there was, as we said already, the, 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 long, the lunge particularly, but several other movements he's doing with the lateral flexion involved. So it's more, mm-hmm. you know, then you know, he got a lot of, he was mentored initially by Jay Schroeder and some of that stuff. And he's taken, he's morphed the, the drills that I've saw, certainly seen Jay doing to a bit more, you know, 3D, if you like, yeah, with, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the lateral flexion. And I think that's an improvement. And whether that's been the catalyst for you know Kevin and some of the others improving the way they have, I'm not sure. But I I wouldn't doubt that that's been part of it. So in terms of what I took out of it, I guess there were I've certainly you know done more of that stuff with athletes I've worked with um, since that that time was a couple of years ago now that I think it was with him. So certainly have taken that on board. You know he he does a lot of asymmetrical things too uh, in in the training, uh, and and some of the holds are asymmetrical and. And his his answer to me was, oh, why why don't you know? Asked why don't why aren't they doing the other side? And um, <laughs> you know, he'd sort of 
I'm bringing him back to the middle. And, it was, and he'd leave, an, leave the answer sort of hanging there like that. And I'd be like, okay, what does that mean? So, you know, I guess it's developing symmetry. And, and uh, you know, if you, throw, if you always throw on one side, maybe you do the drill on the other side. Interesting. And, and, and so his, his thing was, you know, and he had, he had some, some of these answers to when I'd ask him a question and he'd have this sort of, uh, and, he, and, I, and I appreciate it because it made me think about it. Yeah. You know, why are you doing that? Um, well, that's what they need, you know, give the athlete what they need. And it's like so simple and it's so accurate in some ways, but you there, there, therein lies the mastery of knowing what an athlete needs, you know, and, and I certainly wouldn't pretend to understand all the stuff that, that, that he was doing. And I was only there three or four days. But yeah, a really good experience, a really different way of, of training. Um, certainly, I wouldn't characterize him as a, as a, as a gym Nazi uh, in terms of he, he does a lot of stuff. He does strength training, of course, but he does a lot of these isometric holds. And, and he was certainly using them in a space where they would do them daily. And, and I said, oh, why do you do that? And, and he had these, I just had these great answers that have stuck in my mind is, oh, why do you do it daily? Because when I take them out, they get worse. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, can't argue with that, can you? Like, um, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, hard database, but it was, it was, and, and, you know, I started thinking about it. Uh, he, he was almost using them as a um, active recovery, uh, as well as a range of motion, as well as, you know, uh, strength at length. And, and all those things, I think, kind of combine to give these athletes good movement quality. And, you know, like that whole, the old, the old cliche of moving like a cat, you know, having that sort of, you know, kind of, well, that, that's how they move. You know, that they, they these, they've got range, they move well. They're not overly muscled. You know, he had a, his Melina Robert Michon, who's the I think, silver medalist in the 2016 discus um, at the Olympics. Um, she was in there. And, you know, she's, again, not a huge athlete, um, but she's throwing, you know, high 60s in the, in the discus and, you know, wasn't excessively muscled. And, you know, it's just, it's just kind of cool to see a different way of looking at things. And certainly, yeah, she was doing a lot of isometric stuff, a lot of force absorption stuff, stepping off a box, stuff like that. And, and, uh, she was using that as her metric rather than, oh, I squatted 300 pounds. It was, oh, can I step off this box you know, of X height, land, um, in good posture, bare feet, on the balls of my feet, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can I do that? Well, okay. Then can I go up higher and do it? And that was, that was her, mar- her marker of, and when you think about it, you know, you're absorbing force, you know, you're posturally sound, you're taking it through your feet, all these things that you, know, you, you and I would probably agree on a valid uh, things, but just was a different way of looking at it, and and I thought that was kind of cool that that they um they were doing it. You know, he's had different mentors and and, and different experiences, and yeah, certainly hard to argue with their results. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. With the asymmetry. And when you were saying asymmetrical, I was like, they doing like a Russian lunge jump, like partial on one side, like the sprint, right? Like, I was no, thinking, like you might you might you might do a, a push up hold in an asymmetrical position, but but don't you don't change to the other side the same way. You might so that they'd be doing that, or Only they were doing um. We're doing lunges just on one side. Yeah. Every day, just that one side. I'm like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> Interesting, though. And, and yeah, and, but, but bring, but maybe, maybe, you know, that other leg's already mobile and strong because he hurdles with that other lead leg or whatever it is. It's it just kind of like, oh, bring them back to the middle, stay symmetrical. And, and we're all in, you know, most events are somewhat asymmetrical anyway. Yeah. And so I guess it's kind of that. And I think Jay would probably sing from the same song sheet in terms of you just want athletes that move well. And being balanced and all those other things are part of that that general movement quality. And yeah, look, you look at and my my Kevin Meyer is another one I would characterize as a motor genius. He, he's one of those guys that, and he wasn't even there when I was there. But you look at some of his stuff on Instagram, stuff he can do. He's doing ski jumps. He's doing backflips off backflips off waterfalls. He's surfing. He's playing tennis. He's dunking basketballs. He's doing all this stuff. The guy just moves well, you know. And and you know he's one of these guys that can take something 
and probably learned quite well. And he's he's probably the most balanced decathlete in the history of the event. You know, he's he's good at everything. He hasn't got a bad event. You know, we had previous world record holders, Daley Thompson, Ashton Eaton, you know, that, that were guys that super fast, uh, explosive runner jumpers might not be so good in, you know, a, a given throw or whatever. Meyer's good at everything. And that's, you know, he's possibly not as fast naturally as some of those other guys, but he's fast enough and he's better at throwing and he's, you know, he just doesn't, he's got a great pole vault and, you know, it's, it's pretty cool and uh, see how that's manifested itself. Yeah, they some the only doing one side. I I get that in the sense like I've seen just I, even out of like um like Z Health and some of the neural you know talking with Dan Fichter and some of the neurological like training stuff is especially with I, I took like the Z Health Essentials course I don't know, six okay, years ago. I mean, yeah, 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 it's yeah. like um yeah a lot of the neurological stuff and basically how training on one side of the body. I also spent some time with Sean Sherman who does a lot of that with the Square One system. Basically, like you're you're kind of on a one side of the body. I don't want to butcher it, but basically you're either on like a, it's almost like a left arm, right arm is running the show or right arm, left arm, something like that. Like one side of the body is kind of running the show and, and functional. And then the other side is not yeah. in control. I'm sure he could explain it much better than me, but with the Z health, it yeah. was like you, there's one side of your body that you actually, you might neurologically like, like pressing and you would do feedback. You would do like a kettlebell press, your left arm, right arm, test range of motion. Mm-hmm. And it was something to do with, with that. So I did find that, I always found that interesting, but I think about I had um, Mike Kozak and Stephen Laflamme on the show, and Stephen Laflamme was a Bill Hartman mentee uh, with the physical therapy. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. I, as from what I heard, some of the prescriptions to the athletes with issues was actually like only jumping off one side, like you, like you yeah, aren't getting yeah. in your right leg or something, or you're not loading your left leg very well, so only jump off that leg, or only do yeah. for for a while to try to balance it out. So I definitely yeah, yeah. get that. Yeah. I know for me, and when I do extreme ISO lunges. It's easy for me to get down in when my left leg is front in front. And I think a lot of people probably have this issue. I cannot get down into it very well with my right leg in front because I have a like the AICP, the <laughs> twisted hips, and so it's like yeah, that's yeah. the side that I'm horrible at. So I feel like if I was gonna just do one side, I would just do the right leg or something like that. Totally, totally, and that's I guess that's kind of the concept. And um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some things I took it because probably the same as a lot of people. I've, I've been, you know, I've had something to work on more on the side. I do an extra set maybe on that side, but not not all or nothing the way these guys were doing. I was mm. like, wow, that's pretty dramatic. So yeah, why not? I mean, given yeah. that you always hurdle on one side, or you always throw one yeah, way, exactly. or you always, why wouldn't you be doing the stuff to bring them back to the middle? It just made, it made a lot of sense. I just probably hadn't had the courage to go that mm. dramatically in that space. So it kind of, it was, it was nice to see their success with it. And then it almost gives you the, the freedom to go, stuff it, I'm going to try that too with, <laughs> with, with a much more dramatic ratio of loading on one side than the other for, for a given athlete. Yeah, when I was um, doing track in high school, I did do hurdles in college for a few years, but um, I found that I high jumped and long jumped off my left leg and hurdled off my right leg. And I felt like that was a good, I don't yeah, know, I think was, I did a yeah. lot of that too because I was real heel heavy in my left leg takeoffs and I felt like that just slowed me down for hurdles so the right leg was more natural. Yeah. But that was a great balance. Like that was mm-hmm. that was a good balance yeah. of things. And part of me almost wants now thinking about that to do, yeah, if I'm working with like a high jumper, just like, hey, what if we just did step ups on your right leg in the weight room? It's not the same motor pattern, anyways. Like a step up is not a high jump. No, no, no exactly, exactly. <laughs> why yeah. not? Totally. Why, why not? Yeah, that's that's yeah, interesting. So de- definitely, it was interesting. Yeah, I like too that, and because yeah, I had seen that Dan doing this, and I, I, I imagine, I don't know if um, you know, who had originated. I, imagine, I think, like you said, it probably was Jerome, but like the the lateral, because I with the Helen Hall stuff and Gary Ward and like the the lunges, like. And I spent time with Rocky Snyder too, and basically it was like a lunge, but you take your knee instead of straight ahead, it goes over the big toe. 
because that's like, you know, mid stance and pronation and you're going to get more VMO and more glute doing that. And then yeah. one day I was like, Hey, I should do my lunch holds like this. Why not? And, mm -hmm. and just way more glue, way more VMO. And I felt it yeah. when I ran too. And so yeah. I'd heard that with, with Jay's, uh, system. And I mean, the, the thing I love about Jay's system, Schrader's system is it's just so simple. It's just, it's, it's literally yeah. as bare as it can be. And it requires a lot more than just picking exercises, which is, I think draws an in intentionality mm -hmm. and is massive. But yeah, I, I, I've heard that like why there's no, there's no 3d, there's no rotation. And I think on one end, it's easy to get crazy and dumb with 3d, you know, like we're the point where it's not helping yeah, yeah. anything, but just a simple, yeah. Simple side bend, a simple rotation. Yeah. Yeah. People who do the challenge are like, Oh, I don't feel my glute. Well, Hey, just take your knee over your big toe. And <laughs> that's like, Oh, now and, you do. And the thing too with it, with it is, you know, like when you go to the lateral, you, you're putting the zoas under more stretch. The zoas obviously is attached to the, to the lumbar spine. Uh, you bring you bring that on more stretch, so you actually are getting more length on some of those those critical elements as well as yeah you know, the, the potential movement range. And and you watch, you look at some of Maya's stuff on Instagram, and he's got his range is beautiful. Mm. He's a guy you know pretty well muscled. Um, he's even training plantar flexion range, you know, like a dancer. He, he's doing if you look you scroll back through some of his Instagram stuff, there's, there's pictures of him kneeling with his foot, just his toe, you know, toes touching something, and he's actively stretching through that sort of plantar flexion range. It's like. And then you watch him run and he has this massive impulse through his feet um, that, that he really, and more so than, you know, certainly a lot of sprint coaches would recommend. He, he finishes, he can get, he's like a swimmer or a dancer with the, with the amount of uh, plantar flexion he can get. I'm like, huh, it's just a different model. And it's like, if you look at, um, I think we've kind of, as, as a, you know, sports science community, sprint training community, we've, we've probably bought in a lot into that, that front side dominant Ralph Mann, you know, sort of given all that evidence in that space. But, you know, there's some recent papers, you know, I think it's Haugen 2018 and there's another paper, recent paper, 2021, Mats, I think it is, something like that, um, have, 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 have shown, you know, there really isn't any objective effect or a positive effect for people, mm -hmm. people that are more front side or more, or more yeah. rear side. You run with what you run with, with what you've got, I guess, and there doesn't seem to be this dramatic effect that, you know, maybe it's been told, we've been ex told to expect from, from these, these sprint training models. So. Yeah, and, and certainly that some of these French athletes are very stride length dominant. And, you know, they have been historically. You know, Mary Jose Perec was a, was a monster stride length. Christine Aron, who's still got the European 100 meter record, I think, did it in like 42 or 43 steps herself. You know, she ran wow. 1073 as a female athlete, like just mont ate up the track. And, and uh, Christophe Lemaitre was another stride length yeah, monster. Yeah. Um, uh, Maya's a stride length monster. And uh, they have a different lens on it. And it works. You know, cool. I, could, I just think it's. Um, it's just, it's just interesting. Yeah, it is interesting that the French are like that. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, it's Ooh. interesting. I think about someone like Kevin, like, because I think a lot of people, if you said, if you told people to try to create that stride, like, they would just get slower. Like, they couldn't do it. It's amazing. Yeah. I feel like you almost but need it's a hard, that many. hardware, software thing, isn't yeah. it? You need that many movement options. When you have that many movement yeah. options and you're that good of an athlete, you can figure out a way to make that stride length that way. Because, like, yeah, even with yeah, the, the front side thing, like, I've never had an athlete who lifted their knees more and went faster ever. <laughs> like it's not, oh. it's not, if it yeah. happens because you're doing other things, okay, that's cool. Like I get it, but yeah, like, totally. It's, totally. and that's where I, I'm really curious. I'm going to have to put Kevin's stuff in the show notes. And, uh, I, I just, and now I'm like, especially like the, pl even the planner reflection, like all oh, like the little nuances that, yeah. that make that. It's really interesting. Yeah, crazy. Like you, and you, you watch some of the, there's some videos, um, on there that, that, that you can see and you're like, that's that's like like a swimmer or a dancer. That that range of like back athletes don't do that. Well, he's doing it and he's getting faster. It's like, 
you know, it's kind of, kind of it just opens your mind to possibility. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, I'm interested to dissect that. Uh, what was the plantar flexion? You said there was a stretch or an exercise with plantar flexion that he was doing. I'll, like I'll, a... I'll send you. I'll send you an image of it. I've, yeah. I've got it saved on files. So I'll send it to you. You can put it in the show notes. If yeah. You want. Um, yeah. We'll yeah. Th- we'll throw it in there. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. it's just so cool to see for me to think about you know the human body is and John Kylie who was on the show a while ago he had written an article about it was like a like a runner who was missing like their whole calf or hamstring or something where it would have been like a huge crippling liability. It wasn't a sprint. It was like a distance runner, but they still did really well. And their body was able to figure out a way to do it. And there was probably some asymmetry to there too. That was helping them along. It's just, there's not just one way to, to do things. It's, it's so cool to see how different proportion people can, if their movement potential is there. And again, I think that's probably why we can say ode to, Lot enough play in childhood and those types of things too. I mean, I, I do think some people are born yeah. a little more stiff than others, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, just having movement options and you can create as you go later in life. Yeah, definitely. With some of the long duration ISOs, just from a pure like physiology perspective, do you utilize those? You know, in your training session, begin and uh, off frequency. Uh, have you given that a lot of thought yeah. after spending time with Jerome? Yeah. Or? yeah, I have, and I guess um, you know, I think you've had maybe had Keith Barr on your, your show as well. And I guess, you know, if you combine those sort of those concepts that he would say, Keith Barr would say that you're, you're developing tendon compliance with those long isometric holds, which is great in terms of he would, his, you know, and I, and I apologize to Keith if I get this wrong, but his mantra seems to be that, um, you know, compliant tendons, less um, soft tissue injuries as a result, because, you know, there's not such an abrupt force of it overpowering the muscle, for example. Um, so, you know, he would say that if, you, if you're a, got a lot of soft tissue, you know, muscle, muscle belly injuries, You'd want to develop a more compliant tendon. You do your long duration isometrics. Uh, you might do your short duration isometrics or your more ballistic work to develop stiffer, stiffer tendon. And I think that's really valid and probably true. I guess it's, it's broader than that too. I think you know the long duration isometrics also develop strength at length because it's, it's time under tension. You know you're actively pulling and you're actively engaged. They're great mobility tools. So yeah, we do we do them. Some athletes that, that are chronically tight in an area will do them there. You know, I've, I've played with them reasonably extensively myself, and yeah, some some of the, the you know the, the postural elements of them are great. You know, there's even those the, the push up hold and uh, yeah. those sort of things on on the, on the parallelettes, getting you know extreme range and strength in those in, that, in those positions is great. Then the throwers have done some of that stuff. We haven't probably done it as religiously as say Jay would do it or or Jerome would have mm-hmm. would have done it, um, and and. Has that been to our detriment? Possibly, uh, possibly not. I'm not sure. Hard to know when you've got much small sample sizes. But yeah, I mean, one of the other things that I know Jerome sort of alluded to to me was it, it's, it helps recover. You know, mm-hmm. he's, yeah. he, he regularly does HRV type stuff and he was sort of suggest that they, they recover better. Uh, their HRV becomes more, it. you know, as, as a better score essentially with post an isometric session. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, and, 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 you know, do you have to do the five minutes that certainly Jay would have, proposed back in the day i don't know i don't know that you do and I, you know i'm not the expert but this is my my gut feeling was if you develop it you can probably get away with tapping the wheel and doing one or two minutes because you've already got it and that motor pattern's there the range is there the strength and length's there okay now you spend your juice on something else some other training element you need to work on and i'm not sure whether they'd agree or disagree on that but i think i think that's probably what um jerome does at some level that his elite guys don't spend as much time on it because they've already got it so yeah, it's an interesting um, can of worms, and and I don't think anybody's probably got a global handle on it as much as they they might like to think they have. Um, there, there'd be a lot of elements that are that are involved in it. Yeah, I think there it's kind of 
Uh, it's kind of fun when there is a lot of mystery around that stuff. Like, yeah, you, know, totally. you have to go it. You have to. You have to do it yourself. One of the things, um, it was Jeremiah yeah. Flood was on the show recently talking about how they'll either warm up with, uh, if the athletes are walking in, they're kind of down. They'll they'll play a game. Uh, otherwise, they'll do isometrics for the warm up. And that got me. I don't know. Just something clicked in my mind when he had said that. I had heard these like crazy stories before of Jay's athletes. Which some of those, some of those stories are just, you know, I don't know, they're just crazy. And but one of them was like, oh, this guy did like a five minute isometric lunge and then shook out his arms and then benched his max or something like, like stuff like that. And I remember yeah, telling swimmers, okay. I remember telling some swimmers once that we were gonna do, do, we didn't go max, but it was before. I would always, the conservative side of me would always put the isos at the end to like stretch and recover and kind of be a dual purpose, yeah. and you could bring the team together and we could all do it. And then uh, with those guys. We did at the beginning three, three, it was just three minutes. I just put three minutes on the clock and said, do as much as you can. And when people would go down, I'd really encourage them to get back. And they were, they were dying. Like they were just straight up dying yeah. after that. And then yeah, they, yeah. they are like, no, we didn't bench our max. We were destroyed. Uh, but I think that you could say that yeah. they weren't getting a, the one, they weren't conditioned to that. So if you're not conditioned, it's yeah. going to get you, but also they yeah. probably were not like letting it truly lengthen either. So a combination anyways, I, I, that kept me away from that from a long time. And then. Jeremiah said that they did that before, and it, he had a pic, a video of a girl doing like a PR on a vertex. It was like a singly running jump, and she, he was like, "This was yeah. after a five minute iso lunge, or however long, three, I don't know, five, and like a hundred yeah. drops." And then she went and did that, and I was like, "Huh?" And then I just remember all the stories I've heard of Jay's training, and I was like, "You know what? I'm gonna start trying this out," and and I started doing that kind of thing in my own training, and I. I'd done like I'd been told like do um five minute iso lunch hold eleven times a week and then do some sprints and for some reason that didn't work amazingly well for me but what seems to have worked is just using the isos as a warm up and building up to like yeah. and start with two minutes yeah. and something that's feasible and if, like ten drops and then just building up a little bit and I my training is in one of the best places it's been in the past few years just yeah. being able to go walk in yeah. the gym any given day I can do at least a good four minute hold some days five if I really want to. I could do at least a good oh. two to two thirty push up, and yeah. I I just recover well. I recover better, and it's a yeah. thing too. You had said um you you had posted this when I was looking I was looking through your Twitter a little bit to find some think of some uh, questions this time around, and you had posted something where s static stretching before a sprint two sixty meter sprints you'd static stretch and then or they had different they had like static stretching and dynamic stretching and a group that did nothing or I don't know just like danced around I don't know what they did but like yeah. the static yeah. stretch group. The first sprint was negligible, but then they did the second one, and that's where the static sprint did better. And you know, you could say, well, that's where the negative of the static stretching were off. But you're saying there's there's a lot of good things that happen in an extreme iso hold. Like mobility is one, but I also think there's like an ener mm -hmm. energetic thing, like maybe the core cycle and the muscles. There's a there's just a lot of good stuff, but it's also really draining to do that every day. To be like, all right, oh yeah, train. yeah, five yeah, minutes, so like, five months is yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And 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 with a um, yeah, I remember trying to build up to do a five minute iso lunge each side, and and it, I pretty much it pretty much gave me a attention headache just because hmm. I you know it, it was brutal. I, I thought, oh yeah, maybe I'm doing this wrong. I don't know. But I, it, and but interestingly, after doing a big block of that for maybe six weeks, I was running across a road, and I'm you know I'm 52 years old now, and I'm I've got a bung knee and you know all this all the rest of it, and I running across the road, car comes around the corner, and I've got a sprint to not get run over. And I took off. I thought, "Wow, I haven't felt like that for about twenty years." I, yeah. I just took off, and I and I felt really fast. And I was like, "Holy shit!" That's. I mean, obviously, there's an adrenal spike and all the rest yeah. of it went with it. But 
just the pattern of the you know i was mobile and i was strong in those postures and it was like hey look there's something in it finding the balance and what's right for for you and, and the next person uh, yeah it's it's that's part of the art of coaching isn't it rather than um, the science probably at this point yeah that's what i've heard about that stuff too is sometimes you feel bad when you're training there's a lot of fatigue but when you get in the competition like there's just a jump like and yeah. those situations yeah. Um, what was it? I was, oh yeah. Another thing that I found interesting is the consistency. And actually I had heard this from Jay Schrader is the consistency of the athletes that he worked with to perform at a very high, they're very near their max outputs on a regular basis. And yeah. honestly, ever since I've been doing the ISO stuff and then a few drops, I don't do the a hundred drops. It might be like 10 to 20, maybe 30 on one day, but I've noticed yeah. insane consistency compared to where I used to be. It's it's okay. been really interesting yeah, yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know the reason, but mm, mm. so that's been my, uh, my muse. Yeah. Uh, I concur with that. Yeah. Yeah. Five, yeah. five minutes is if you, if I had to do five minutes every day, I would, and, and that's the thing I, I've heard at least athletes who do have to do that a lot. That's easy to get burned out doing that stuff. Like just adre- mm, adrenaline, mm. like Christian Tiba talks about adrenaline. Like yeah. it's, just, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, all right, five minute lunch today. Here we go. Like for the, it's a yeah. lot no (laughs) it is i don't know it is there is there's something to be said about you know when you do do it you you got to own it and and dialing in and and i i just love actually the intentionality of it it's like a meditation you know it's just a boom like let's let let this is this is a way to use pain to draw intention and the the urgency so awesome um anything with uh with short isometric holds that you've uh, been using or thinking about it's it's been a while since we, yeah, we talked and the alex and Terra yeah, stuff look, has been popular since then and uh, so so yeah so some of the alex and Terra stuff i've certainly used it with and sort of hamstring related stuff but in terms of like the mid-thigh pull and some of those other ex- I, I don't like that um that violent um load on the spine where nothing moves I, and i and i've had i've got three bulge discs in my back from stupid training i did as a, mm-hmm. as a young fella and um had subsequent back surgery, so I'm a little bit probably, um, you know, one burnt, one burnt twice shy sort of guy on, on some of those. I, I don't do a lot of, you know, like a squat against a, a movable object or or a, a mid thigh pull. I kind of have shied away from that a little bit. That said, I think you know that they are there's enough stuff which shows tendon stiffness, rate of force development, and all those sort of positive qualities. I guess for, for most people, can be developed through those, you know. For one of a better word, ballistic isometrics, where you might be bang, hold it for two seconds or one second, or try to reach peak force. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not against them. I'm just a little bit wary for some modalities, but certainly have done some of that hamstring stuff that I've, you know, stolen from Alex and Terra's um, stuff that he's presented online a couple of times. So, yeah, I, I see the value. I just don't load it, load it through the trunk. Um, I guess is probably how my kind of rule of thumb currently. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, that that makes sense. In the I've heard people say. I've I've had coaches tell me too how good of results they've gotten from like top end speed. I mean, I think this stuff works awesome. I guess I mm-hmm. have heard that it can create more compression. That like like it is a very compressive uh, situation. Yeah. And I'm yeah. and yeah. so you would grab just because to err on the side of less compression, you'd be more like the one where like your back is on a bench and your your foot is on like the your horizontal. It's like a single leg straight leg hip thrust kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Like and you could load it. You could load that. And you can do the the violent absorption ones as well, oh, and, yeah. and all those sort of things. So, so I certainly have done those ones. And I'd probably be more um, if you did a belt squat type situation rather than a um, you know bar on the shoulders job. I'd be more likely to to be keen to do that um, with my athletes than a mid thigh pull or a um, you know, traditional squat into the rack type scenario. Mm-hmm. But that said, not to say that they're wrong. I, I just I'm just wary of them. That's all. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a really powerful training stimulus. I'm always, yeah, just, there's always a balance, yeah. right? Like really powerful, yeah. effective, but a lot of compression and, and just factors to look at. Yeah. And then also, yeah. like, can you get the same thing doing a plyometric or, you know, maybe just pairing it with a plyometric to half the load of it? Or I don't know, you know, like those types of questions. Yeah. I, I think like they do just use like the single leg. I mean, still, if you could still crank it, there's certainly still compression, but like <laughs> doing a double leg, like mid thigh pull is like, mad compression so it's definitely up yeah. in the ante if you're by and particularly for strong athletes like you know and if you're having a competition oh, who can, i've done x number of you know newton meters and what are you doing and i just yeah it just it just scares me a little but that's yeah maybe i'm being ultra conservative i'm not <laughs> sure but yeah yeah i've i don't have any for like i've i've kind of i've done some quasi versions of those that i i do really like but it's not it's not max in the sense that there's not um like we'll just put as many plates of the bar as we can and just have the athlete lifted it off an inch. Okay, you got it. All right, we'll put a little bit more on. I don't have force yeah, plates, yeah, yeah. so I can't. That's as, yeah. as good as I got. And I do think that for that scope, I, I don't see like too much happening with that. But I always, yeah, I would ask like, can we do the same with the like hopping or plyometric type stuff too if we wanted to do yeah. it that way? I like the yeah. hip thing though. I really, I really wish I had the setup to really crank that with a force plate. I, I've heard that can be a really yeah. awesome thing i yeah. think it would help me personally too for for speed yeah yeah sure oh good stuff um all right well we've uh we've taken a good amount of time on some of this um on some of the initial questions which is awesome it's good to have those conversations uh maybe i'll i'll just ask one more question which is uh thoughts on proprioceptive style training and i, I asked this yep. because you had mentioned um the effect of weightlifting or heavy weightlifting on joint proprioception or muscle proprioception so uh what's your thought on the interplay of uh, weightlifting joint proprioception and then utilization or purpose of like some of the marvinovich stuff like the balance discs or if the the foot is on yep. a a hard but unstable surface and and that the, any benefits there with that type of stuff as you see it yeah, look, it's a, it's a really good question. And I've actually, I spent a wee bit of time with Gavin McMillan, who I think was uh, yeah. mentored probably by, um, by Marvin Marinovich and, and his, his, his cohort there. So that was, I don't know how many years ago that was, but he was, a, he's a very smart guy and had some, um, he, he took me through some of the, the drills that they used. And um, certainly as a guy who'd probably trained myself in a more strength oriented fashion, uh, I thought there's something in this. And I was pretty pathetic at some of the, the movements. You know, because I just didn't have that sort of that feel. So yeah, look, I, I do think there's there's a balance, and it's, it's again, it's it's a bit like the um stuff we were talking about earlier with the um, the spinal engine versus the mass spring model, or, or whatever you want to how you want to split differentiate your the way people move. But it's not a case of just do the balance stuff in my mind and and forget all the the, the, the raw force stuff. Do both, yeah. um, and and I I think you know some of the the massive proponents of that that sort of training that. I don't know. Do you know Koji Murafushi? Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I've seen some of his training too. Very like art, artistic, yeah, almost like. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got all these um, hammers off the bars, and he's and he's stabilizing, and everything's kind of kind of funky. And and he's a big proponent of, of that sort of training. And he's a very smart guy. Done his PhD on on the biomechanics of hammer throw, Olympic champion in the hammer. And it's kind of it's like oh, that's pretty amazing. And that's all you need to do. Is it okay? Cool. But then you go back and to look at his training history, and the guy power cleaned you know 195 mm-hmm. kilos. That, yeah, wow. 430. He's got a, he's got a forty something inch vertical. Yeah, I've vertical, heard his vertical is insane. Yeah, yeah, and he's got and he's run his, his sixty meter time is insane as well. He's just this mega athlete, and it's like okay, so you came into this other tra- you know, other style of training with a background of a you know mm-hmm. nearly two hundred kilo power clean. Like, well, yeah, I can see how that works. You've combined these two elements. You had you had this enormous horsepower, 
and lacking potentially lacking in feeling. I don't know if you've heard the two the term um, motor unit enslavement. When you do the same you do the same movement all the time and you sort of you know maybe you're pairing away synapses and 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 you just have you become very good at that movement but you're not very flexible. And I, and I think you know that's possibly what you do with you know an over if you OD on strength training and you don't do some of this other balance proprioceptive work on the side um, that maybe you become this very inflexibly inflexible in a, in a motor sense and, and you don't you don't move as well as you can so look i, I think there is it's nice to, to balance these two, these two these two you know diverse types of training from from the, the proprioceptive balance focused work with with possibly some high speed elements with your your raw strength stuff and i think you know one of the guys that Gavin McMillan, I think, and, and Marvin Rinovich had worked with extensively was was Troy Polamalu, who yeah. was you know obviously a, a very very special athlete. And, um, and Gavin said to me, he's the best athlete I've ever worked with, and he's worked with a whole lot of studs. And he said he's the best. And you know, so I looked at him up a little bit, and um, you know, I watched him play on some some of the obviously there's a lot of footage of his on on YouTube and what have you. And like, wow, what a what a what a specimen. But the thing is, you look at his pre pre Marvin Marinovich training. The guy was, you know, bench pressing over four hundred pounds. He had a forty-inch vertical yeah. jump, and he had all these other. So, so he, he again, he was like Koji Murafushi. He had this enormous force generation ability, and then you added what he didn't have, perhaps, and became even more of a stud. You know, like it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, again, it's it's balance. I, I'm I'm not. I think both are good. Yeah. Long story short. Yeah. Someone had told me. <laughs> I don't remember who told me this or if it was accurate, but that. Paula Malu, when he was chairing with Marinovich, was still go and lift weights like behind Mars back or something, like because they were, they were very anti like. And, and yeah, yeah, I actually, I mean, I can see why in the sense of a lot of those athletes have gotten to the point where they aren't getting any return off of that t- typical weight lift. They're no. they are they're in motor enslavement. No. There's not, and I think about even like mm. repetition without repetition. You're never going to run the hundred meter dash the exact same way. Even a even a single leg squat, like I'm into like doing just different types of single leg squats and and like working the ball the foot more working the heel more and you don't you never yeah. really do it the exact same way when there's more degrees of freedom but as soon as it's like on two feet yeah. now and there's a bar and there's just less there's less room to wiggle it's you're more like yeah. apt to yeah. kind of be stuck and i like how marvin said when you put a foot on like a balance disc your body gets to pick where it wants to go and i imagine there's it's almost makes the lifting more like what your body does in running and jumping there's just more little Little nuances that's going to let it. There's more out. bandwidth, isn't there, that you have to play with? And, and like, like, look, yeah, well, I, I was to be honest, I was really impressed with um, this time I spent with Gavin McMillan. The guy's a really bright guy, mm-hmm. and he's getting results. And he had a lot of good athletes there that are coming out of there. And he's yeah. and he's moved more into the UFC type stuff now. But he had you know, Carlin Isles, I think, was there that, that the um, US sevens rugby player who's you know super fast and yeah, you know, he's he's impressive. And and there's some really good stuff in there. But yeah, like there's many ways of skinning a cat, aren't mm-hmm. they? Like we all have different um, recipes that we come up with, and we probably all get some results at the end of the day, unless we're doing something drastically wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I try not to get too much of a massive proponent of any one thing. I try to what's you know what's good. What can I use? Does that fit in my my model in my own mind? If it doesn't, why doesn't it? Well, how does how come it's working? And well, maybe my model's wrong. I I, I want to be. I want to stay flexible. That I don't have all the answers, um, and I want to. I want to keep learning. So. But, but, but part of me, and maybe maybe it's my own bias. I look at those guys that have been really successful in some of that stuff, but they did have this big force background earlier. I want to be. I'm, I'm a little bit married to the force stuff, probably, and and I want to think that they wouldn't have done it without that. Maybe they would. I don't know. Um, but certainly, I, I know we have athletes in New Zealand that are um, 
we've got a couple of elite throwers that, that, that come to mind and one of them is massive strength training history one of them started strength training at 18 and they're both world class now but the one that started strength training at 18 has better motor skills um, the one that started strength training at 10 or 11 is way stronger it's like okay but they throw the same distance or you know one mm. actually the, the one that started strength training later actually throws further but yeah it's just kind of interesting like i think it affords that coordination is is, is, a, is an underrated thing and i think so i, I, I certainly hats off to, to marvin marinovich and co in that space um they are developing coordination and movement speed and competencies and a, and a reasonably good bandwidth but horse is good too yeah so, I, yeah it's certainly the athletes who have the horsepower that are probably going to shine the most when they're they're exposed to that kind of thing at least to a large degree i'd imagine i've i'm not the strongest like i have some okay lifts in history it's in my history but not great by any means and i i felt like i did do well with that type of work but that was a yeah. year then when yeah. i first did it it was a year after i was pretty strong squat like i was it, the yeah. year i high jumped two meters 14 i was actually my strongest squat to body weight i'd ever been uh, and squatting yeah. well like letting my knees come forward keeping a fairly vertical torso actually a lot of pressure yeah. on the balls of my feet and i didn't even think about why it just felt good and stuff like that yeah. and then then i, I got into the all that marinovich stuff the next year i don't remember know what turned me on to it i got probot x and started doing a lot of it and i loved it. i just felt really good um mm. but i wonder i think if maybe i hadn't got been able to have those force outputs prior i don't know if i would have been quite as good with it you know like i think there is that yeah. kind of that maybe back and forth with it i mean there, there is you look at athletes some athletes that, that are really really good at the force stuff and, and they're, they're pretty good at their event and then you look at another athlete that's pretty crappy at the full stuff but just as good at the event and you kind of think well is there a happy medium and, and I, I i you know we do get married to the the, the modality that we're in but you know you want you want the athlete that's most efficient as possible don't you know like we that's obviously the goal you you know if you can get away with not doing that much strength work and still get the output great but can you get both and if, and if you can get that efficiency up maybe it's easier to add strength any idiot can get strong can't they mm -hmm. to some extent and and that subtleties of some of those other movement qualities are probably a little bit more nuanced and a bit more of an eye required to um to coach that perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely an art to it. And um mm -hmm. but all really interesting stuff for sure. Uh well shoot, we I'd like to ask you the last two, but we've uh we spent so long on the first couple, which was great. It was really, really interesting. And I have a ton of videos to put in the show notes now. I'm really excited to actually check them all out and get this whole thing set up. It's gonna be a really great show and and front to back. Everyone listening, go to the go to the website and check out the show notes. Uh, but thank you so much for your time, Angus. It's great to reconnect Pleasure. from all yeah. the way across the world, pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, it's very good. I'll send you, I'll send you a couple of images that some of the stuff we talked about too. I'll, I'll figure it through to you on email. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you cool. again. I appreciate it. That wraps up another show. Thanks for being here with us and we'll see you next week.